Well, hey, everybody. I've always wanted to say that. Your pal Tim here with a very important announcement. We're recording the 100th episode of The Debrief Live. We'll be at the Riverside Municipal Auditorium on Monday, February 26th, starting at 6 p.m. Tickets are on sale now at move.sc forward slash debrief 100. $7 now and $10 at the door. You can also find them on our Facebook page. Grab a friend, grab your tickets, and we'll see you at The Debrief episode 100. Just yes. our, our knees are touching. Is that okay? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's fine. It's fine with sweaty. me. It's fine for you. Sweaty. Let's do this. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to the Debrief Love Edition, episode 98. We are super excited to have you here. I'm your host, Justin Party. We're going to be getting some tough questions answered in a real way. Man, we're getting some real answers to tough questions. <laughs> I told you, you mess it up every time. <laughs> See, Tammy, that's why I make fun of him, because he blows Don't it. Hurt um, it happens, it happens. Hey, so we got Pastor Matt Brown in the house. Uh, we've got... Tammy Brown, since we're talking about love and marriage, and she's married to this guy. Yeah, so, she's the Miss PMB. Yeah, we're going to just talk to you. How do you do it? How has it made it? And uh, we've got Pastor Andrew, our marriage pastor here. Uh, he's going to be hanging out with us as well. We got all kinds of good stuff talking yeah. about love, marriage, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to get some wise counsel from Pastor Andrew. I'm excited to be here. I've been wanting to share with you some wise counsel. <laughs> I'm hoping Matt gets yeah. some wise counsel yeah. from you. Yeah, Tammy's, actually, Tammy's emails have been going to you. Yeah, she <laughs> sent us a text message. This is what they call an intervention on yes. reality television. Mm. All the Annie Mosses today are actually me, people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this that is, is my awesome. wife, Annie Moss. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, we talked about true love uh, as we're continuing on the Good Life series. Before, Just to lay a foundation for this conversation, can you talk to us, Pastor Matt, about the difference between uh, what our culture and the world that we live in calls love and what God defines as true love. Yeah, so I think our our culture's view of love is self-centered. So I feel loved. I experience love. That's through um, a sexual encounter. It's through you doing something for me, buying something for me. But culture's love is a feeling that we have inside. The Bible's version of love is something that we actually do for others. And so literally the direction of love from scripture and uh, culture is going in opposite directions. One flows out. This is love, not that you have loved God, but that God loved us. That's what the Bible says. Love begins from God and flows out. And our culture says, I deserve to feel loved. And, and, and then when we don't have that feeling of love, love doesn't exist. And so um, it, it's really the direction of love. Culture says one way, the Bible says another way. And that's why so many people are miserable because um, we can love every day. Mm-hmm. every day by loving others. And unfortunately, many people are sitting at home saying, I need to be loved and I'm lonely and I'm not loved. And they're missing out on God's version of love. So that's wouldn't, a great question. Wouldn't you also say that culture right now is even shifting in love because love has become, you You have to agree with me. You have to think mm-hmm. how I think. Otherwise you're not loved. I mean, culture is even shifting in that way to mm-hmm if we don't see eye to eye on every single thing and yeah, that, no, that's so, even yeah. becoming Pastor part Matt, do of you, culture. Do you agree with Tammy on that? Yes. Do you see eye to eye with yes, that? Yes, I Good see answer. eye to eye. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the, the Bible says, and I, I didn't read through the questions, but love rejoices when the truth wins out. So love is a champion of truth. And so what that means is, um, is that love challenges. And, and it doesn't challenge to simply challenge. It challenges because it wants to rejoice with the truth. And so, when people say, oh, well, you just love me as I am. Yeah, God loves you as a drug addict, 
but he's going to challenge you to not be a drug addict, to not do that because it is terrible and defaming and, and destroying your body and, and really wreaking havoc upon your soul, um, which is the same thing about sex. Um, the Bible says that, you know, specific teachings in regards to sex in the world says, I can do whatever I want sexually in the name of love. And, and the Bible just says, no, because love rejoices when the truth wins out. And um, so, you know, and, and it doesn't uh, rejoice in injustice and we can do unjust things to ourselves in the name of love. I mean, we just can. All kinds of crazy things have been done in the name of love. You know, it said that, um, you know, Helen of Troy was so beautiful that she launched a thousand ships. In the name of love, millions of men died because one dude lusted after Helen of Troy. <laughs> well, that's just a tragedy. You know, it's an absolute tragedy. So, um, you know, love is sacrificial. So when God loves us, you know, his, his son dies mm. for us. It's, it's very, very different. Sorry, this is like so off topic here, but who sings that song? What song? In the name oh. of love. You too. That, you too. I just can't believe you that you don't know. Yeah, well, you Bono. said in the name of love like five times and it just, oh. oh. It's Bono. I was getting confused. <laughs> I thought maybe it was Rod Stewart because. <laughs> oh, jeez. He's a lovely man. Okay, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna do you use remember this. do you remember the uh, the iPod? Do you, are you old enough to remember? <laughs> that was Bono that there, launched. All right, that. there we go. We are gonna use kind of that foundation of this uh, outward facing love as the definition for and the framework foundation for this conversation about true love. We got a bunch of questions about how do we actually love another. This one is from Rebecca, and it starts off talking about her own love for herself. What does healthy self love look like? My family of origin was really great at making me feel small. In their eyes, I was a one-night stand and turned into 18 years of responsibility that they never wanted. Despite many years of counseling, prayer, and forgiveness, I hear their words echo in my mind every time I mess up. What does self-love look like for someone like me? Yeah, I, first of all, let me just say sorry, and I hope you heard my words. There's no such thing as an accidental child, just accidental parents. Um, you know, I I think that some of the deepest pain on in life comes from our biological families. It just does. And so just know this, Rebecca, that nobody's family is perfect. Um, we're all wounded. Even when we try to love our children, we end up um, wounding them inevitably because we're broken. So I, I'm sorry about that. And, and, and part of it, again, and this is why scripture memorization is so important. Um, you've got to find the verses um, specifically, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future and a hope. You know, God's for you. Uh, when you feel dark, uh, Romans 5, 9, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, there's just such beautiful, beautiful verses in the Bible that you need to memorize and you gotta speak truth when you're not feeling truth. And that's the thing. So part of being a Christian is learning to overcome your feelings and your emotions because those things are erratic and all over the place. I'm not saying that you're ever not going to feel pain with what your uh, biological parents and family has done. I think that should hurt because they're sinning against you mm -hmm. when they're saying those things. I think um, my hope and prayer for you is that it wouldn't just totally destroy you. And so you need people in your life. And again, this is Rebecca, you've got to get in a community group with solid, healthy Christian people that know and love you and can speak truth to you that you are loved. Um, the Bible says that we are God's masterpiece created in the image of Christ. I mean, that, that's what God says, that you're, you're the most important thing uh, to him. And he purchased you, you know, uh, something's value is determined based upon the price paid for it. And so your value, Rebecca, is, is determined by 
the price that Christ paid for you, which was the most precious thing in the entire universe. Mm. And it's not gold, it's not silver, it's not platinum. It's the blood of the one and only son of God. And so I just think that's so important, but just know that my heart breaks for you. Um, did she say she's gone to counseling? Yes. Yeah, I would I would continue to do that um, because oftentimes, you know, so much of the hurt that we have to do, you know, is, is at multiple stages in our life. And we have to go back and speak to the child that we were and speak mm-hmm. truth to that mm-hmm. child so that we can come up, um, you know, to, to where we are now. And, um, and I just think that's so important. So literally, I don't think it's ridiculous that you would sit down with a counselor and work through, you know, your, your pre-elementary school years, your elementary school. What was it like when you went through puberty and high school and, and all of those things? Because you matter to God, you matter to us at Sandals Church. I mean, I hope you feel right now that you matter to us. We're talking to you and, and we care about you and your question matters. You know, Sandals Church is a safe place um, where you can be loved and cared for. And, um, and just again, get healthy people mm-hmm. in your life that are committed to love. That's what a healthy person is. A healthy person is committed to loving others. An unhealthy person is all about themselves. And so you need to have some people in your life that see you, that care about you, that you matter to, because um, it, you know we need to know that God loves us, but the way that we experience God's love for us is through each other. And that's why there's so many commands in the Bible about loving one another, because that's how we physically experience the love of God, is through a hug from another believer, through words of another believer. I mean, even Jesus himself on the night when he was crucified, he wanted his brothers to be with him and they kept falling asleep but he wanted them there. So I don't know, what do you guys think? Yeah, uh, I just thought of another passage that I think would be really helpful is uh, 1 John, uh, really the whole book, especially chapter two and three, uh, just talks about the love of God and how important it is to know that he loves you more than you can ever love yourself. And um, I was also thinking that, you know, it's good to make sure that you are not pursuing to be loved by changing yourself, Mm -hmm. uh, by you know, trying to be somebody that you're not so that people will love you more. That would be a tendency um, because you've experienced that. We call that that. dating, I think. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly. But just to know that, because if you know how God loves you, Rebecca, then you can begin to believe that other people might love you in the same way, especially Mm -hmm. those healthy people that Matt talked about. Yeah, and that's just so important. You know, Rebecca, you know, historically in the world, cultures that thrive um, are cultures that have a healthy self-identity. They know who they are and what they are. And those cultures do good no matter where they are. Uh, Chinese cultures, Jewish cultures, Lebanese cultures, these cultures thrive because they have a belief about themselves. So no matter you know what happens, they tend to do well no matter where they are. And so um, you know, I believe specifically the Jewish culture does so well because God says, you're my chosen people. That's helpful. And that's, that's what I would say is the more that you're growing and pursuing healing in this way to remember that um, not to find your identity in them because really the way your parents were as, as if they're, you know, how you're saying is speak so much to more to who they were or are than to who you are. And so the more you can unwrap your identity from that, like you were saying, of just like knowing what God says about you, um, because that, if that's how that, that played out for you, it speaks so much to what was going on with your parents and their brokenness and not about who you are, even though you got all the residual from that. Yeah, and let me just say this. Um, This is why it's so important that we serve at church because service gives meaning. It does. And so when we come to church and we participate in serving one another, 
Um, you know, if you work in flip flops and those little kids hug you and they're so glad to learn about you. I don't know. Did you see? Did you see um, Griffith's post this week? Oh yeah. So Griffith, uh, Griffin. Griffin. Yeah. Sorry, not Griffith. Griffin. Your good friend. Let's call him Griffin. Your good friend. Sounds, Griffin. He sounds way cooler. Yeah. That sorry. Way. <laughs> Griffin uh, is a, a minister in our church, and he he wrote this lengthy post that he said that it's odd that I learned what it means to be a man in children's ministry. Mm-hmm. But what happened is, is he learned through he who he was through serving and he found identity and purpose and he had a rough upbringing and yeah. a rough childhood. And so Rebecca, that's what I would just encourage you to do is to pour yourself into the service of the one true King who gave his life in service for you. And, um, and I just think that that's, that's just so, so important. And um, um, you know, I, that's just my prayer for you is find a, a place to serve because we have to be careful in the pursuit of love that we don't make it all about us because then that limits the experience of love that we're going to have. When we begin to love other, Jesus says this, I, I think I went over this first, greater love hath no one than this, than he who lay down a life for a friend. Um, and that's Jesus. That's what he says. And so true love gives. And so Rebecca, that's what I would encourage you to do. You know, if you have a family or, or if you don't love your church family, the way you wanted your parents to love you, mm-hmm. that's the best way to experience love. Mm. Don't sit around because we, we can't go back and change the past, but we can change the present. And then what that does ultimately is we'll change the future and find a greater purpose. And, you know, I, I, I know for me, you know, the greatest purpose of my life has been serving the church and uh, the journey has been difficult, but it's been awesome. Mm. You know, you said something, <clears throat> and I don't want to just miss pass, missed it really quick. You talked about speaking truth to our, like to our old self, to our younger self. Mm-hmm. Can you talk, talk about that again? Yeah, because again, uh, I think it was when Tammy and Christina were on stage, I said that the most, the most devastating thing to a person is not the event, but it's the meaning that they attach to the event. So in her life, the event is you were an accident, you were a one night stand. Mm-hmm. The meaning that she's derived from that is, I'm no good, I have no meaning, I have no purpose. And so what she needs to say is, look, my parents may feel whatever, but my meaning comes from God. My identity is in God and he believes I have meaning. He believes I have value. And so she needs to go back to those moments as a little girl when she remembers, because let's just be honest, most of us remember negative events. Yeah, Those things are seared in our minds. And so we have to go back to that moment and we have to speak to that little girl that heard it, felt it, and experienced it. And then we have to speak truth in that moment. But God did have a purpose for you. God did love you, right? He, he did, and, and he cares for you. And, and the truth is, Jesus was right in that room in that moment, whatever happened, screaming, I love you. Mm-hmm. I love you so much, I died for you. And he wants you to experience that love. And so um, every, every like just hurt or, or painful moment, um, you know, we, we, we need to take that little girl back to that spot so she can hear the words of Jesus and, and have that truth spoken. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's just so important. Yeah, the reason I wanted to highlight that, <clears throat> the last episode of the debrief, um, it was so powerful and God really, really, really spoke to and challenged me, um, showed me stuff and it was like, whoa. In the last week of my life, with the help of my wife, my counselor, and then a good friend here on staff, I've probably spent six hours of my last week in that active process, mm. speaking truth, mm. believing truth, revisiting some things in the past um, to to try and align my view of those circumstances mm. 
with God's view of me, uh, what I know him to be true and not what I have learned and believed about myself in those time. And I am a person who deals a ton with shame. Like I just carry it around like a blanket, like a, you know, like a little kid's got their safety blanket. That's me and shame. And, um, I've had the least amount of time connected to that blanket in the last couple of days of my life mm. just because of the hard work of doing what you just said. And I think there's a ton of opportunity there. If you're not connected in relationships, that's why I love what we talked about serving too is one of the best ways to get plugged into mm. relationships with people here at Sandals. Um, so is a good thing. Yeah, and just and just think about, you know, uh, Tammy and I have to have this conversation. You know, we talked about abuse, was it two weeks ago? You know, so her abuse occurred when she's four years old to six years old. So we have to, she can't be a prisoner to the meaning that she derived as a four and six-year-old because a four and six-year-old's brain is not fully developed. And yet that memory can be cemented in a 40-year-old's mind. Right. So you have a 40-year-old, but in that moment, you're four to six. So you have to go back and say, okay, here's the truth that I, I, I speak to you. And so like, you know, Rebecca, one of the things that's so helpful is envision yourself hugging that little girl when you're, when you're told that you, you, you don't matter. You were an accident. You, you, you hug her and you say, you're not an accident. You speak truth to her. Mm-hmm. You were created in the image of God. You were, God knew you when you were in the womb. God loved you, um, you know, and you know, and, and also love, love loves to work. I mean, your parents are saying, you, you know, you were a burden. Well, part of loving people and caring for people and, and raising children, it is difficult. Like mm-hmm. we all have kids, mm-hmm. it's not easy, but it's worth it in the name of love. And so go ahead. And I would just say along those lines, part of a practice that I've done as I've gotten older and really pursue like emotional health is, is that just thinking of God's word where it says, take every thought captive. I, I recently was asked, well, what does that practically look like? And mm-hmm. it looks like when she hears those words, whether they're coming from herself or she's literally hearing things her parents said back, to have to stop. Like how mm-hmm. much, how, how, how far down the road are you going with those thoughts? How much mm-hmm. time are you letting them, them resonate in your mind? I, I have to do a practice where I'm like, that is not true. I'm not going there. You don't have this on me anymore to the enemy kind of kind of self mm-hmm. talk, but it is a practice to do of taking those thoughts captive. And the more, Rebecca, that you can practice that, whenever you start hearing that that cycle on repeat of of that, for you to stop it and eventually it'll be less and less. Um, as, as you make that practice, but mm-hmm. don't let yourself go down the road of remembering those thoughts and feeling those thoughts. Yeah, and and also don't be judgmental to yourself if you find yourself periodically through life feeling sad, mm-hmm. because that shouldn't have been the experience, and mm-hmm. it's okay, it's okay. And I, I was thinking too, it's, it's important to have compassion for yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have children, or if you know someone, maybe a, a niece or nephew that you love dearly, to picture them going through mm-hmm. what you went through. And it helps you have compassion for yourself because mm-hmm. no child should have to go through those hard things. And it really helps you go, okay, God does love me because I have that kind of love for other people. Mm-hmm. And then to translate that to yourself so she can receive that love. Mm-hmm. We love you, Rebecca. <clears throat> okay, here's another question that came in anonymously. My parents divorced when I was five years old. And as a result of that madness, I was sexually abused from ages mm-hmm. six to about 10. You talked a lot about what love looks like from God and the Bible's perspective, but how do you love the people around you without having bitter or angry feelings toward them when you feel abandoned and forgotten? Well, I think it's okay to have angry, uh, bitter feelings temporarily. I think that it's important that we state the truth. What happened to you was wrong. It was sinful. 
Um, you know, there's no verse in the Bible where it says that we gloss over sin. God certainly doesn't gloss over sin. I think what you do is you say, God, this happened to me, this was wrong. And I am trusting you that you will make all things right. You will make all things new. And I'm gonna hand this anger and this bitterness over to you because it's destroying me. So that's what anger, you gotta think like anger and bitterness is like spoiled milk or milk. Like you can have it for a while, but eventually it goes rotten. And so you have to get rid of it very, very quickly. And so I'm, I'm sorry that, you know, that happened. Um, you know, the most dangerous man in a child's life is the man who is not biologically their father. It's just true. So we all have to be aware of that. And we have to be, you know, if you're a, a, a woman who finds yourself as a single mom, you have to be very, very careful because men who are not the biological father, and that's not to say that some biological fathers don't molest or, or rape their kids. It's just a far smaller percentage of males that do that. And so you just have to be very, very careful because there are real consequences. Uh, one of the lies that we say in our society is that divorce doesn't hurt kids. It hurts every kid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the most devastating thing that can happen to a child in their life. And why? The Bible says that love never fails. So when a child's first experience is that love can fail, it calls into question love, God, goodness, um, you know, we talked about this a little bit at the end that love demands security, which is why you need to get married. And I know a lot of you are living together, sleeping together. Listen, you need to get married. You need to go through the right process because love demands security. But it's not just in the context of marital love. It's the context in raising a family. Love demands security. Kids need to feel safe. Well, and again, because of even uh, the same principle that applies to abuse is because meaning becomes attached. Right. I did something they could, you know, like uh, uh, kids attach meaning to divorce the same way that they do Yeah. in that way. So part of the question was, how do I then, you know, interact with people in a loving way when I've been hurt badly? And I think, Tammy, you could probably speak to this. You've learned how to trust people over time, that there's safe, healthy people that do exist that you can mm -hmm. then entrust yourself to. You don't have to be bitter toward everybody around you. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you would say well, to her on that level? This question actually makes me more curious about what the circumstances really are. Are these people that um, abused you, family members, still people in your close life? See, I don't have to interact with my abuser. Um, and so, you know, Christina spoke last episode about boundaries. And so I'm just curious about this particular mm -hmm. question and what does that look like? Because if if someone has abused you and they're, they're in your everyday life, I mean, that really is a hard situation. And I, I just think you, you are a grown up now and you get to decide who has influence, who has power and who has proximity in your life. And um, boundaries are really, really fuzzy gray lines for people who've been abused. And I would just challenge you to really rethink about what your boundaries are with those people. If they're still in your life, it doesn't mean you have to be hateful or, but, but that the amount of proximity and personal contact that they have to you, you get to decide that and be okay with that. You don't have to cuddle up to and, you know, and that doesn't mean you hate them. Mm -hmm. It means, hey, our relationship is broken mm -hmm. and um, and that's okay. Like that's a choice that they made and that's a natural consequence to that. What would you say, babe? Yeah, absolutely. I think boundaries are a very, very healthy thing. 
Yeah, and forgiveness is different than relationship, right? You yeah, can forgive yeah. Forgive someone like, and release them to God. Just because you don't want to be a part of their life or have them a part of your life doesn't mean that you're being hateful. It might mean that you're actually being very emotionally intelligent and relationally wise. Yeah, yeah. trust is something that's earned. Mm-hmm. It's not just given mm-hmm. freely. Right. Okay, here's a question from Cynthia. I'm not 100% sure if she's married or not, so we'll, we'll have to keep that in, in mind. In terms of pursuing love, how do you tell the difference between when we should pursue it and when we shouldn't? For example, is it wrong to pursue love in fear of it being only for the child the two of you share? Wow. Yeah, so, man, Cynthia, what we would love is a lot more details. Um, that would be very, very helpful. So um, I, I definitely think kids are a reason to try harder, for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm, yeah. For sure, absolutely. Um, but you have to be careful with that because, you know, uh, and then again, this is why you need to come into soul care. You need to talk to a pastor. You need to get in a small group because sometimes codependent people will use that as an excuse to keep them and their children in a very dangerous situation. The church is not against divorce in all situations. There are some situations where we advocate divorce uh, for the safety of uh, one or more people within the family. Absolutely. You know, we don't want to see anybody get hurt or abused. We don't want to see that. So, um, you know, I, I think what I was trying to say is, is that love is something that we should actively pursue because Paul says that if you are not experiencing love, you're missing out on the point of life. Life is not about money. It's not about power. It's not about being, you know, perceived as righteous or, um, or even, I mean, he even says, if I move mountains, which as far as I know, no one's done that. Right, even if I can do more magic than Gandalf, but if I'm not <laughs> loving, mm-hmm. then I, I'm missing it. And so that's what I'm trying to say is, is you know, um, is Cynthia, mm-hmm. Cynthia, it, it's just that you need to put a, a high, high value on love. And so I, I want to be loving. I want to experience love. I want to give love. That's the kind of person I want to be. One of Tammy and I's favorite people in the whole world to be around. And, and if you ever get to meet him, please do is Bob Goff. Mm. The mm. guy, he's the, he, he is bizarrely the real deal. Mm. Like he is bizarrely the mm-hmm. real deal. He's like that all the time, all the time. I mean, I don't know. The guy's got like a million Twitter followers, but if I, if I tweet him, he responds to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the, the dude is just amazing. He just is just very, very loving and very, very caring. And, um, you know, if you could just be around him for a second, man. It's just, the it's only just thing awesome. I know about Bob Goff is that there is a little bowl of, of candy and balloons yeah. in the corner of the debrief studio well, that's because, that he um, sent to you guys. He just sent him saying, I love you guys. Yeah, one that's, day a in note. A box. that's a note from him. And so I put that, I saved it because Matt can't eat those non-gluten-free yeah, cookies. <laughs> <laughs> so we put him in there as a reminder of, of how much his act of kindness spoke to us so that <laughs> we can then remember yeah. To, yeah, to be that way. Um, I want to speak to that question for a second because what I, I'm curious if she's saying is, do I need to pursue romantic love with my child's father? Mm-hmm. Right. That's kind of what I hear her saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if you're doing that out of fear, then that isn't the right pursuit for sure. Um, I love what you just said about being loving. You can be loving um, and not have to be together romantically. If mm. that's the case, again, we don't know so much about this question. We don't know if they're already married right. or if they had a kid together. And so they're like, we got to make this work. Um, but to do it out of fear, I don't think is the right motivation for sure. So then I think the the motivation turns inward of, I still need to treat the father to my child lovingly. I need to model what that looks like. Um, 
out of like respect and mm-hmm. kindness and you know sometimes kindness doesn't look like the act of of actually being kind but it can also look like the void of not being unkind yeah. i'm not going to trash <laughs> him but um yeah, it sounds like she's saying, mm-hmm. I need to make sure we work out in a romantic way. Right. And, and love can be packaged a little bit different than that because mm-hmm. it's, it's already kind of, I mean, wonky mm-hmm. if she's even writing this question. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think, again, we need to talk about love. Like, I don't like it when couples say we make love, like in reference <laughs> to sex. I don't say that. I just sing it. Oh, okay. sing it <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's ridiculous. I think Tammy and I should make love. All day, every you day, say that. and occasionally <laughs> we should have sex. Okay, I, I think I think that it's so important because our culture has so identified love with sex. We've mm-hmm. u- now we use the term we make love. You don't you don't make love. You either right. have it or you we don't. Make sex. You, you <laughs> can make sex, right? Um, and um, and, I, and I just think that it, it's just so weird that our culture believes really what love is, is, is erotic sex. Right. And so the ancient Greeks understood that erotic sex is erotic sex and love is something else. And so that's why they Mm -hmm. have the word eros, which is erotic sex. And they have the word agape, which is this kind of uh, wholehearted, pure love. Uh, There's philos love, the city of Philadelphia, the Eagles won the Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. city of brotherly love. Shout out Melody. Shout out Workman's. Adam, you too. So, you know, in our culture, we have one word for love and it's just so hard. So again, if you're a married couple, you know, don't, I just would encourage you not to use the word, um, you know, I, I, I want, I want to make love. Just say, I, say, I, I would, uh, I would love to have sex with you. Maybe that's, that's, that's better, but just, just to be really, really careful because I think it sets us up. Love is something that happens all day long. Listening, serving, caring. How can I help? Apologizing. Um, you know, this weekend I preached on not being rude and I said something rude to Tammy and oh, I was like, did you? Yes. You, yeah, <laughs> you don't you, remember? Yeah, oh yeah. I, I've apologized like four times. But wouldn't you so, say, this is weird to say. Not that love keeps record of wrongs. Wouldn't you guys say that the love that happens outside of sex actually determines the sex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. oh, Come yeah. On. So I just yeah. made the only girl at the table to say that. Yeah. Steph, no, can I get an amen? <laughs> so I have one more thought on the question. Um, if there's a possibility through humility and hard work, if there's not like an abuse situation yeah. or unhealth that you can make it work, mm-hmm. um, man, that would be so awesome to share with your yeah, kids someday. Sure. That we, we worked hard. I mean, what a great gift you could give them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that's you know not the case or the situation's different, it's hard mm-hmm. to determine without more information. That's why that question's tricky because she yeah. says in fear. Right. And so that's why that, that kind of leaves me with mm-hmm. a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I just would say again, and I don't want to put, I don't want to put guilt on on couples, but one of the reasons that I tend to be very stable, I just am a very stable person, is because my parents never split, never talked about it, never did it. I never worried. I never came home worried. I never had that stress in my life as a child growing Thank up. Thank you, Stephen Peggy. I had other stresses, but I never had that stress. And so it's allowed me to be a very, very stable person for Tammy and for our kids because I, I had that. And so love was something that in my home that was very, very safe and very, very secure. And so, again, I don't want to put a bunch of guilt, you know, I don't want all of our single moms and dads crashing their cars right now. Um, you're going to have to work harder to make things safe and stable for your kids, which I think is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best, we're talking about the ideal. Right. The ideal here is is that you would have a two-parent family, a mom and a dad raising kids. That's the ideal. And people always send in, you know, well, my single dad, I'm not saying that they didn't do a great job. I just need you to chill 
and understand that the best situation is a loving mom and a loving dad committed to raising their kids. That's the best for kids. So, all right. And I, su- I suggest using the word copulate, by the way. It's a good one. Um, copulate, that's horrible. I Lindy's going to talk to you about that. <laughs> this is a true story. In my second year of college, or I was working at Riverside City College. Do you need to hear this story? No, it's, okay. you guys, <laughs> working it's at the college, to I had, I I had no idea it. what that word meant. And in an elevator, there was like an actual official sign above the elevator door that says, please refrain from copulating in the elevator. I went to private school. I didn't know what this word meant. Mm. I took the elevator into the faculty technology lab, and I just walked straight in in front of like 20 grown adults and said, what does it mean to copulate? And no one answered me. They all just... They all just <laughs> stared at me like, like this. Like, we're doing how we're Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> just, well, there you go. Is that um, before Google? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was no Siri at that time. Okay, Alex says, I feel like my heart is growing cold in my love for others. It's to the point where I want to share the gospel with people. Uh, that, yeah, I think you couldn't have read that right. <laughs> I feel like my heart is growing cold in my love for others. It's to the point where I want to share the gospel with people because I know it's the right thing to do, but I don't have anguish in my heart like Paul talks about in mm-hmm. Romans. How do I grow in my love for others without faking it? Yeah. You know, I don't always feel loving towards Tammy. It's better to fake it. That's so true. It just is. It's better to do the right thing <laughs> even when you don't feel like it because um, we're not always going to feel like doing the right thing. Now, over time, if 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 you ha- if you keep faking it and it's not real, that's a problem. I mean, it's an absolute problem. But you 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 can't not do the right thing because you don't have the right, right. feeling. Mm-hmm. I don't think Jesus felt like dying on the cross. Although mm-hmm. you woke up that morning, you know, I got nothing to do at three o'clock. How about crucifixion? Yeah, I think that. So so that's part of the problem. But over time, what you want to do with and ultimately, it's revealing sin in your own heart, and you yeah. need to bring that before God and repent and say, God, my heart is cold. It's hard. I, I, I need you to help change me. And just so you know, that's what the world is doing to all of us. It's jading all of us. It's making all of us mm-hmm. negative and critical and mean. That's what the world does. Mm-hmm. God softens hearts. And so we need to go to him and say, okay, I, I want to do this. And so, you know, I wish that I could say that every single day, all day, I feel like sharing the gospel, but, but I don't. Um, but if I have the opportunity, I'm going to share it. And, and again, I think the gospel is best shared in opportunities, not randomly screaming at people or passing out tracts or anything like that. Although I have met people that got saved that way. So. And, and often God meets us in our obedience. When we do the things that he mm-hmm. wants us to do, then we begin to feel the feelings we want to feel. You know, if you yeah. don't ever share the gospel, then you don't feel like sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. But once you do it, you get the joy of sharing God's love and it makes you want to do it more and it mm-hmm. changes your heart. Yeah. Oh, man. I love seeing people at Sandals that I've got to lead to Christ and, and, and just, especially when they start coming with their families and I know their kids, I know that there's a whole family that's eternal destiny has been changed. Mm. And not just that, but the trajectory of their life has well, been changed. generations. Yeah. I, I think for me with that question, I've been in that place before. Mm-hmm. So I can relate to that question is just to think of the alternative of, of not sharing it and what that looks like for people. You know, I have really, I've had hard people in my life I don't want to do that for, and then I start believing the alternative. Yeah, what what's at stake, and that really begins to grow and appreciate the motivate and increase the motivation for sharing when you think about what's at stake for people. Yeah, what's yeah. really at stake. And I think that's what Jesus means. This is a whole other conversation, but what he means by love your enemies, it's understanding what's at stake. It's it's understanding that ultimately your enemy's life is what's at stake. And so and so for us people that you know, 
don't know Christ, it, there's an eternity of separation from God and, and, and a real judgment and an accounting for their life as they've lived. And, and that needs to move us. And, you know, we need to be concerned about that. And, um, you know, Paul says that in the last days, the love of people will grow cold. And I just read the statistic. I, I can't, I can't, couldn't believe it, but Americans are more likely to save a puppy hmm. oh, yeah. than a person. Wow. Then they're more likely to save a dog. An American is more likely to get out of their car and render aid first to a puppy, then to a dog, then to a human. That's, that's where our country is. At least cats didn't make their list, so I'm feeling good yeah, about that. I do feel better about that. <laughs> you know, over the last 10 years, this, is, this year, growing in my love for others is probably one of the things you've challenged me most on personally. And I, I think at Have Sandals I? Church, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think at Sandals Church, a lot of people use this, uh, well, I don't want to fake it thing as a total excuse. Right. Because what, what we're really saying is it doesn't come natural to me. And that doesn't mean it's right. You right. know, like what, what comes natural to me is being super fat and unhealthy. That comes naturally to me, but that is unloving to my wife and children. In order to mm -hmm. actually love my wife and children, I have to do what's unnatural. Mm. So just because I feel fake doing those things, um, or, you know, even trying to show love to somebody that I don't like or whatever, just because I feel fake, that just means I'm not like Jesus yet mm -hmm. in this particular area. Um, and it should come unnaturally to me because that's not how I am, but yeah. I have to do what's, I have to fake it. And it doesn't, faking it, we say like, that's a bad thing. It's what you're saying is part of being a Christian is learning to do what you don't want to do. Right, mm -hmm. right. And so, you know, so, so much of the world says, well, this is natural for me. Well, Jesus talks about doing supernatural things. That's Ooh, what he's called us okay. to do. So Christianity is not I about doing... I was going to say something. Oh, keep going. Christianity is not about doing the natural. It's about learning to do the supernatural. All right, there it is. There it is. That's what we're supposed to do. And so, um, it, you know, it's just, it's just absolutely tragic that everybody feels like every natural desire we have, that God wouldn't have given that to us if he didn't want us to act on it. And it's just, read your Bible. The whole Bible is about learning not to act on what you feel. You know, Amnon a couple of weeks ago felt like having sex with his sister. Right. Should have faked it. Yeah. Not a good idea. Yeah. That was not good. It ultimately cost him his life. I mean, Amnon dies and Tamar is ruined forever in that culture. Like she's literally banished mm -hmm. to her, her brother's Absalom house who dies, you know? Yeah. So. Okay, here we go. Let's. The rest of these are mostly about or are, are, are about what it means to love in the context of marriage, which you recently uh, talked about. Pastor Matt talked about love not existing if it isn't felt. My husband and I fight constantly, and he doesn't seem to care what I have been going through with pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery, etc. I know divorce is wrong, and I would hate for our new baby to have separated parents. What do you do when divorce isn't an option, but you feel so unloved and disliked, and your partner doesn't seem to want to change? Yeah, again, uh, our society has not done a great job at raising men. Um, men don't get it. We don't, we don't get it. There's not a child growing inside of us. There's just not. I did see a movie once where Arnold Schwarzenegger had a baby inside mm -hmm. of him, but I'm pretty sure Irrelevant. that was fake. Was Danny DeVito that baby or just yeah, a friend? I think he was this. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, guys don't get it. We have no idea at all. You know, like I joke with Stephanie every day, you know, she, or not every day, but she's like, oh, I'm tired. I'm like, well, you're growing a human, you know? <laughs> I'm not growing a human inside of me. So um, yeah, again, so I just would encourage you to try to lovingly say, I need more help. I need more support. Try to be positive as best you can. Um, you know, 
check your attitude before you're overly mm-hmm. focused on his. You know, the best way to change someone else's heart is by changing your heart. Mm-hmm. So say, try to be loving, try to be kind. And again, I can't speak to your situation. Come into soul care. We have marriage mentors. We have people that can talk and, and just understand that, you know, it takes a lot of work. It's easy to fall in love and have sex. That's really easy. That's, man, that's, that's, that's the easiest part. The difficult part, and this is why if you're single and we're gonna be talking to you next week, um, this is why it's so important that you actually do some mental work before you jump into bed because somebody can be great in bed and terrible as a husband or, or terrible as a dad or terrible at keeping a job. And those are the things that really make a, a life work. And that's what you're trying to look for is, is a partner. And um, so, you know, so what I would say to you is come to church, get some mentoring, get some counseling and, and try to just ask him, would you at least just come and listen and just know that it's very, very difficult. Um, and again, I would say, how, how is me being pregnant affecting you? How is it making you feel? Mm-hmm. Like try, try to find out what he's feeling or thinking because he probably is feeling and thinking some things. Yeah, so I was thinking one thing, the reason why we bring other people in is sometimes we best hear truth from somebody else. Oh, you know, amen. when you're in your own marriage, you're hurt by that person, you're kind of stuck in the same situation over and over again. Um, you you tend to not listen to things from them. And so when you meet with a marriage guide, he can begin to hear your heart and you can begin to hear his and, and be drawn toward one another. Um, if he's unwilling to meet with someone, I would really encourage you to kind of along the lines of what Matt said is really listen uh, to where he's coming from, ask him some questions, and then gently share what you're feeling without accusing him of doing something wrong. Just to say, hey, yeah. here's some things that I would really like from you. I'm feeling kind of weird after childbirth. This, these are not normal feelings for me. I just want to invite you into that um, process of, of where I'm feeling so that you can understand me and we can get closer together. I mean, that's a very non-offensive way to approach it rather than you don't love me enough, you don't care about me enough, mm-hmm. you don't understand me, and he doesn't understand you. We don't understand women well. That's one thing guys struggle with. We have to try Speak for and yourself. learn. Right. We have to learn how to understand and love, and so he needs to be invited into that process with you. You just said marriage guides. Can you explain what that is really quick? Yeah, it'd just be another couple that walks alongside you, that cares for you, that prays for you, that encourages you to stick with your marriage, uh, that makes sure you guys are having uh, tough conversations and working through them well, and uh, really just to support you because everybody struggles, and those marriage guys have struggled in the past and probably currently struggle, and they can be someone that you can lean on uh, through difficult times. I I would say into that that, you know, we just speak different languages. Matt will communicate something to me. I hear it one way, 100% different than how he meant it and vice meant it and vice versa. So when I hear that question, it's like he, um, it's, you know, there's clearly a lot of animosity being read into how mm-hmm. she's perceiving that he feels. And so I think in a time when you're not super frustrated and in the moment, really check into that instead of assuming that he doesn't care how you're feeling, to even be able to ask like, hey, how, how's this, the, the, you know, it's a whole different way of life when you have a kid. Like, mm-hmm. how, how are you feeling in this season? Like, how, how are you feeling about us? Are you, because she may be perceiving one thing as I don't care when really he may be feeling scared, disconnected from her because now all her attention's having to go to this baby. Um, and so there mm-hmm. might be a lot of misinterpreting happening there. Um, but it's better to pursue that conversation than to let that that gap of distance and disconnect grow. But you know, he 
he may be putting off something completely different than he feels. He may feel and not felt this way. Oh my gosh, I have to provide, I'm this provider. I have to keep the, you know, that's a lot of responsibility all at once. And so what might actually be fear um, and stuff is coming out a different way. And so I, I wouldn't just assume that he doesn't care. He's not there for you. He doesn't understand. You know, he's he's mm. got potentially a lot of his own stuff <clears throat> going on, as do you. And so it's just, that's, that's an area to pursue. In addition to that, I would say watch your inner dialogue because, I, I mean, right. even this week we did a marriage event and I was stressed <laughs> leading up to it. And I started feeling anxious. And then I started thinking, well, I can't talk to my wife about it because she can't handle when I'm stressed out. And, you know, come to think of it, she never handles it well. And, you know, that's where my mind yeah. went. And I never said a word to her. And then when I actually shared, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry, babe. Will you tell me about it? And I actually finally shared what was going on rather mm-hmm. than just that inner dialogue. And we've been married 14 years and have a healthy marriage. And mm-hmm. I still have those moments where I don't think right. So it's And good to- I would say that same thing about Matt and I, you know, sometimes when Matt comes off the harshest towards me, voices raised, coming at me, typically it's the more harsh he is, the more afraid, would you agree, that's happening inside of like, I feel like you're going (laughs) to lose your mind, you know, like he, and so now 22 years later, um, I'm I'm more aware of that now of like, okay, he's feeling at risk with me. He's feeling, and so I would just be like, he's being mean. He's coming at me. He doesn't care. But really, the more he acted like that, I was is an indicator to me now of the more at risk he's feeling with us. Yeah, trying to understand your spouse's perspective is a full time job that you never graduate <laughs> from. So I, you know, I don't care. I mean, you just constantly have to. You, know, <laughs> you constantly have to think about things from their perspective, and so you need to be empathetic. And so, and just know, you know, starting out a family, having a young baby, all of those things are very, very difficult. Right. It's very, very challenging. I just ran into a couple at the CBU game on Saturday night, and I just said, what's been your greatest blessing and and, and, and the most surprising burden of your marriage? And so, um, you know, they kind of- That's what happens when you bump into Pastor Matt. <laughs> I, 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 bought, I, had, I, I felt bad afterwards. We were literally in line to buy snacks. And I said, okay, I'll buy your snacks. Um, but I just That'll asked him that. And it was interesting. You know, he was really quick to say it was their son. Mm. He's like having our son really has <clears throat> changed the way. Yeah. And then, you know, she shared, you know, just kind of their future plans that they, they had a plan and that's changed. And, you know, I mean, this is a couple that I think is fantastic. They're amazing. And yet both of them were saying, okay, this kid has changed things um, mm-hmm. and they're getting ready to have a second kid, which is going to change things even more. And so um, I think it's important that you're committed to each other, that you hold tightly to each other and you you hold your plans loosely. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they said that way. We have a plan. Um, and man, when we hold on to those things and not each other, oftentimes we lose things. And so this is what I would say to every young man. You know, Dex and I were, were commenting on this. Dex is our creative director here at Sandals Church. He's been a guest on the show, I think once or twice. Friend of the show, Dex Alexander. Friend of the show. Um, he just told me that, you know, he said it so well. He said, when I got married, I thought Noemi was a backpack. So I just put her on and I, I just go on with my life. And I thought, wow, mm-hmm. that's exactly how I felt about Tammy. And, and probably Tammy felt a little about me, but your spouse is not a backpack. And so what you need to do is you need to learn to change things. And so Dex and I started talking about how much less we care about sports, our own free times, the things that we do. And, and so listen to me if you're a young man. 
when you're a young man, really a boy, you go out and play with your friends, you play video games, you do things that are all about yourself. As you age, those things have to go away. It's about Tammy. It's yes. about spending time with the family. It's, a, it's about being with them. You get one shot at this, one shot. And um, man, I, I, I mean, I, I used to be so into sports. I would get angry for like weeks. I mean, I would grieve when my team that doesn't know me, doesn't care about me, literally, and it would affect my family. And those things had, I had to let go of those things. And so you can do things when you're a single man that you have to be willing to let go. And the same thing is true for women. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a woman, so I don't, a woman, so I don't know what all of those things are, but you have to be willing to let things go. Um, and so, you know, uh, Tammy and I were kind of talking about like our biggest tension when we first got married. And so I would, I think for me, it was, she was a backpack and she's just going to follow me. I remember one time she said, I feel like cans, you know, remember they used to put cans behind a car on a wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does anybody remember that? Yeah. yeah. She said, I feel like the cans being dragged behind your car. Mm. And I was like, ooh. And what I would say for her is she didn't leave and cleave her family. She didn't leave her family and cleave to me. Like I was not, I was like JV, like they were still varsity. And that was our greatest tension. And it was, we're going to get married, but we're going to keep living our lives the way that we did. She's still a Harrington and I'm still Matt Brown going to change the world, be president of the United States, right? And so we're going on those two routes, not understanding why the other person doesn't get that. And it's because- you know, I think our marriage counseling was actually terrible. We had like the worst marriage counselor. I just remember sitting there thinking, I know we needed to do this, but this guy stinks. I didn't want to use that word. That's he was okay. terrible. So we have had other counselors that, that have been, been great. Really, we love really counselors. Great, yeah. so. But our marriage counselor, dude, I don't know if he was on. Yeah, weed don't or give what. up if you have a, a poor counselor. Yeah. It just means they're not the counselor for you. That is truth. That's truth for us. You know, I, what I love your approach to answering that question, Tammy. It felt like you were looking for opportunities to give grace, you know? Um, it, Lindy, that is called 22 years. <laughs> dude, Lindy could have wrote this question anytime in the last six to eight years when, well, you know, anytime in the last eight years, to be honest with you, since we've had our kids. Um, but I feel like what worked there was, I mean, you were in our community group when right after we had kids yeah. and she could have said, I feel so unloved and disliked. He doesn't want to change um, and doesn't care about what I'm going through. That's, yes, check, no, check, check, partially check, true. Check. <laughs> yes, mostly. <laughs> um, but yeah, she felt like she, through relationships and other people, dug down, looked for opportunities to give grace and that's what made it work, so... Okay, here we go. Another one. How can I be more loving toward my husband when we are going through a rough patch? It's almost always about finances, and I don't know how to support him when he makes illogical financial choices. Yeah, well, again, I'm sure he's young, hopefully. (laughs) I made a lot of stupid decisions. You know, Tammy and I would be very, very wealthy people if I (laughs) was not an idiot early on. And I just, you know, I spent too much money on cars, didn't, you know, and she just, I just made a lot of dumb mistakes. So I think part of that is youth. And so here's what I would say is no, no person is going to be mistake-free financially. Here's my prayer for all of you, that you would learn from your mistakes very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Learn from your mistakes. You don't need the newest, the best, the cleanest, the brightest. You don't, you don't need to buy a house. The American dream is a nightmare for more, for, for many, many people. Um, There's nothing wrong with renting. Everybody's always in a, in a rush to buy. You know, when you rent, all you have to pay for is the rent. You don't have to fix things. You don't have to budget for things when they go wrong. I mean, you know, uh, Germany is one of the world's wealthiest countries. Only 20% of Germans own homes, <laughs> 20%. So it's just something that they've, you know, they put a, a premium on other things, you know, traveling, family time, doing things together. And I think that that's one, one aspect of their culture that really, really works. Yeah, castles. <laughs> so, um, 
So that's what I would say is, is I, I would say, honey, why don't we sign up for, is, they don't call it financial peace here. What do they call it? Uh, we, yeah, financial peace. We call it financial and peace. And there's also another one called finding financial freedom. Finding financial freedom. Mm-hmm. And so these classes uh, run periodically at our church. It's awesome to sit down. You know, Tammy and I are at a place now, we're in our forties. The only debt we have, the only debt we have is our house payment. Mm-hmm. And so that's it. That's the only debt we have. Everything else is paid for. We don't have any school loans. We don't have any car payments. We don't. We don't have any of that. And it's so freeing to live a debt-free life. And so I just would encourage you to get there. And we're hopeful that soon we won't even have a house payment. That, that at one point in time that that'll be the reality. But that requires learning to say no to self, mm-hmm. so you can say yes to good things. And mm-hmm. and go ahead. And I would just say this: when you're starting out, which I feel like that kind of indicated, like they're mm-hmm. they're starting out. You know, you're not always, unless you continue to make ridiculous financial choices, you won't always be in that place. And so there, so to not, I know so many young people that are like, I need to have, they want to have what Matt and I have now, 20 years later of both of us working or the seasons I didn't work because I stayed home with the kids. They want to have that on the front end. And um, I just think it's so important to remember, like we won't always be in this place. I remember when we got married, somebody gave us a hundred dollar bill in like my wedding shower. And I could not fathom that. We were so poor. I'm like, I, how could they give, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I've now given a hundred dollar bill in a wedding shower before mm-hmm. 22 years later. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and it's not like we have a ton of money. It's just, it changes. And so to be patient with the season that you're in, financially mm-hmm. um and and to to just trust that that you know unless you're ridiculous you will always be in that place mm-hmm. but if you're wise in that place and then as a couple to decide what are are the the top 5 financial things that are important to you clearly paying our bills is important to us Matt had and I had to decide early on I could not handle like being so skim on bill time like we needed to have enough money to pay our bills or mm-hmm. we needed to get rid of something. Mm-hmm. Um, we've decided tithing then is like our number one priority to tithe. After that, we've decided we want to support mission people. So mm-hmm. now, you know, now we have, so we've kind of said like these, I mean, we haven't literally said five, but like five things to us are what's important. And so whenever purchasing something, they're just some things that aren't important to us. Like we're not big technology people or have to have the best TV and screen and yeah, I don't um, drive a hundred thousand Ale- car. Like we don't have that you know? Alexa thing. We love it at everybody's house, but like we're just <laughs> not those people. Um, I love but- to go in people's house with Alexa, and I go, Alexa, who is Sandals Church? <laughs> She's like. Sandals Church, Church was founded by Matt Brown in 1990. <laughs> oh yeah, it's so funny. It's so crazy. <laughs> but you know, we eat out. Yeah. Like we eat out a lot, and so a lot of our budget goes to eating out because one of the two of us likes is a food store. <laughs> and oh, likes to geez. eat out. That wow. just happened just on the debris. I got lots not to do. <laughs> which, which two? Of, which one of it was it? Is it? Yeah. Is it, was it the sharer or the other person? <laughs> so one, but, one day, oh, so we just know we're gonna say yes right. to eating out more and no to <clears throat> a, other things. Like you just have to decide as a couple, and then you filter things through that of like, hey, is this new thing something that we can wait on? Mm-hmm. That or do we have to have it now? Is it going to jeopardize the things that are most important to us? I would say this is the theme of my life since I turned thirty: get rid of things, not relationships. Mm-hmm. So we, man, when we are feeling when we're feeling tight, we get rid of things. 
So we've had an RV, we've gotten rid of RVs. Mm-hmm. You know, we just get rid of them, boom. Because it's it's better. I, I think your marriage and your life will be better when you have money in the bank, man. Look, American culture is horrid. You know, um, Donald Trump in his speech did not mention debt one time that I was aware of. We have $220 trillion in debt in this country, $220 trillion in unpaid liabilities. It's a problem. It's a problem. Our country spends $1.7 trillion more than we bring in every single year. That's just federally. It doesn't count state and local taxes. Like Americans... Like it's it's a real problem, and at one point, you know, there's a there's going to be a come to Jesus moment, Mm -hmm. and I don't know that the country makes it. You guys need to be different. You need to pay your bills. You need to get out of debt because at some point, um, there's not enough money. At Mm -hmm. some point, FEMA said this year that if we have the same disasters in 2018 that we had in 2017, that there's no more federal aid. So if they get more hurricanes, like there's no, like there's not an endless supply. So we need to all be paying. And I'm not trying to freak everybody out. The two sixes in the room are like, oh my Andrew gosh. Andrew and I are like, oh my gosh. We're yeah. So die. what I'm saying Should is, bury my money? is, you know, you need to <laughs> learn point. to save for a rainy day. You, you need to learn to do that. And the best way to do that is to do less. Your kids don't need to be in every sport. They don't need to do everything. You know, your kid's probably not going to be a professional athlete. I'm sorry. Probably not. You're you know, people's dreams. So one thing that she said was his illogical purchases. And I think that was really critical because mm. her perception is that his purchases are illogical. But I think it's good to be real with yourself. What might he consider illogical that you like to spend? Mm. One of the things Becca and I discovered is that yeah. we value different <laughs> things. So we mm-hmm. spend on different things. And that was the source of a lot of our arguments early on is that I was really conservative financially, but there were still a lot of things I said yes to. I just valued different things than what mm. she valued. That's and so really good. Um, I would encourage you guys to, when you're not upset about finances, to have a conversation. <laughs> um, say, hey, I, I feel really afraid when you spend money on these things. Can you reassure me that we're okay mm-hmm. financially? Or are, do you value the things that I value? Or how can we have a conversation about mm-hmm. this? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, just, just quick reference and we're going to move on to a whole bunch of, uh, well, three fun questions about pre-marriage engagement type stuff. Uh, there's a lot we just talked about getting plugged into financial classes, um, marriage guides, all that stuff. Again, debrief.show slash 98. You can find links to all of this good stuff. Okay. Three last questions about pre-marriage type things. This is from Ingrid and Benjamin, which sounds like the name of like a cool hipster band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What makes two people married in God's eyes? We are engaged and planning to get married within the next year, but are struggling with this question. Is the piece of paper? Is it the piece of paper that legally says we are married? What matters? Or is there something that matters more to God? We don't need a pastor or a priest to connect us to God in our spiritual lives. So why do we need one to marry us before God at the ceremony? Yeah. Wow. Ingrid and Benjamin. Uh, First thing that I would maybe work on is pride. Sounds like there's a lot of pride there. Um, You're young. You don't know this yet, but you don't know what you don't know. So it does matter. Um, I think the formality of a covenant matters. And so here's why the pastor matters is the pastor is the representative of God. So Jesus Christ has given us his church and in his church, he has placed certain individuals in authority and Benjamin and Egrid, as far as I know, that's not you. So I I would probably know you if that was you. So um, it's a real thing. And so you need to invite a real ordained minister from our church to participate in this. I think it needs to be public and it doesn't always have to be as public. Some people have bad situations, but there needs to be a witness there to the event because the event matters. And so um, again, 
Statistically, Benjamin and Ingrid, it is not in your favor. People that say what you say don't make it. They just don't make it. People that live together before they get married have more problems than when they get married. People who don't believe in the piece of paper don't make it. Mm -hmm. It matters. It matters. I mean, we've all stood there before God, before the minister, before family, before friends. And wouldn't you all agree? It's a pretty heavy moment. It's the whole crap moment. Yeah, Yeah, it is a heavy, heavy moment. And this is what I tell couples. If you're not nervous, you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you're doing. Like if you have no fear whatsoever, you don't know the immensity of what you're about to do. So Ingrid and Benjamin, what I would encourage you to do is to submit yourself. So again, you're talking about a relationship. The Bible says this, submit to one another as unto the Lord. So that's where we start. And then there's some things that it says about a woman submitting to a man and a man loving his wife and giving up his life for her as Christ did the church. There's some real, real statements about what it means to be a Christian marriage. And so part of that, Benjamin, if you're ever going to ask her to submit to you and your leadership, you need to model submission and do the right things and submit to authority. So the most dangerous man in a woman's life is a man who can't submit to authority. That is a dangerous man because the only reason we have authority, Benjamin, is because we're under authority. So what makes two people married in God's eyes is actually getting married. That's what makes you married. Yeah. I mean, just like you don't actually own a house unless you sign papers or- No, no, the papers don't matter. You can just move it. You don't actually have a job if you don't get paid for it. Yeah. It's, it's actually going through with the process and God always works through human processes. He doesn't go around them. He tells us to submit to governing authorities and everything we deal with in life, he works within that system. It doesn't mean we have to bow to culture. It just means that we- use real life stuff, such as submitting to the process of marriage, which includes paperwork. Yeah, my thought on the paperwork is if there's no paperwork to get in, there's no paperwork to get out. And Hmm. there are days when we, Matt and I have both wanted out. I loved how he said this last weekend, if Instagram had been around when we first got married, we wouldn't have followed each other. (laughs) That was awesome. Thank (laughs) you. It was so good. (laughs) And so true, because there were days where we were just like, I need out. But there was more than just that feeling and that moment and that wanting that that would have been required to make that a thing. By the time that would have all gotten done, we've probably calmed down, thought a little, little clearer kind of a deal. And so, yeah, the paperwork matters. For, for that reason alone is, you know, when you're willing to do the paperwork, it's just a deeper level of commitment of I'm willing to jump through these hoops because this thing matters to me. And, you know, Matt and I talk with our girls about dating of, you know, that the guy needs to come to the door and not just text you from the driveway that Uh, he's here. And they're like, but it doesn't, no, it matters because it's not about him coming to the door. Mm. It's about the fact that he'll come to the door Mm. because that shows he's willing to face Matt and I to get to you, you know? So so part of those processes are so much more than the process. Mm. Yeah, and, and just so you know, ladies, that's one of the things that you can do to help a hus- your future husband when you're dating is help him to do things, you know? It's important, you know? Um, if you want the door open for you in the car when you're married, it needs to be open for you when you're dating. I mean, those are things that need to happen. And so men, we've not been raised well. We, di- we, just, we just haven't um, in, in our culture. Our culture is it's just really, really sad. So we need to help men be men. And part of that is living your life according to, uh, you know, people say all the time, Christianity is not about rules, it's about a relationship. Yeah, and the relationship has some rules. <laughs> so 
It, it just does. It, it just does. I'll, no one's Ding yourself. Me I tried. I can reach. Justin's it. drink is in my way. I can't. It, it has some rules. Like we talked about this week, right? When Jesus says, "This is my commandment," you don't pray about that, right? Like you don't. Mm-hmm. You don't get to like get in your small group and decide. This is this is my commandment. So, um, you know, Benjamin and, and Ingrid, there may come a time when the church no longer recognizes marriage in America, because I mean, who knows what our country is going to do in regards to that? There's still. I, as 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 a as a church as an assembly, we will still gather together to celebrate and before God, join individuals together. That's mm-hmm. what we will do because, you know, America didn't invent marriage; God did. But again, I, I I think that it's important, and as long as we can submit to the laws of the United States of America, we should participate in that and sign the document. And it is it is helpful, um, you know, because again, you know. The whole reason America recognizes marriage is because it was God's idea. Jesus says that it was God's idea and that he made them male and female and that what God has joined together, this is what Jesus, Jesus let no man tear apart. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very important part of life. So in the very romantic movie about pursuing love in the middle of the civil war called Cold Mountain, Jude Law says, I marry you, I marry you, I marry you, right before having sex with Nicole Kidman. Are you saying that didn't count? I didn't see the movie. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. Even, it's wildly romantic. I okay, if, can't even. If you're a girl and you're dating a guy named Sam, consider skipping this next question so you don't spoil any surprises. <laughs> I've been praying about proposing to my girlfriend, says Sam, but my hesitation comes from not knowing enough about marriage <laughs> and how to handle the premarital process. I'm sure it's different for everyone, but I'd like to make sure that I'm proposing and getting married for the right reasons. I strongly believe that Jesus has chosen her for me, but I don't know what my first step is. I mean, it sounds like a pretty good start that you're thinking about that rather than just running ahead. I mean, that's that's wisdom. Uh, we have a great uh, pre-marriage class here at Sandals mm-hmm. that really helps prepare you for marriage, helps you think about things you probably wouldn't have thought about and get together with other couples who are going through the same things. So I, w- I would definitely recommend that. Uh, you can even do that before you get engaged if you want, just to kind of see where you guys are at if you're mm-hmm. unsure. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you guys both love each other, I'm assuming that she loves you too and mm-hmm. would say yes if you asked her to marry you, um, then I think that you can begin taking those steps. Have conversations about it. It's okay to talk about marriage before you actually pop the question. That's not a bad thing. And make sure that you guys are taking good, healthy steps. You guys are waiting to have sex till you're married, putting God first getting involved in, in the church and mm-hmm. serving. I mean, if all those things are happening, then you know you're you're building a, a firm foundation for a future yeah. marriage. And let me tell you again why it's so important. And maybe we'll discuss this more next week. Here's why it's important that you wait to have sex before you get married. Because when you are married, you're going to have sexual desires. It, it, this, if you can't be obedient when you're totally into each other, you're going to have an even harder time being obedient when you're not into each other. Mm. And so sexual boundaries is something that we train ourselves to do both before we get married and after we get married. Hmm. Um, you know, um, again, you know, when Tammy and I went through, through our difficulties, you know, one of the things that, you know, kept me faithful to her, even when I was not in love with her, was just this idea that sexual chastity is important. So we, we often think of uh, chastity before marriage, but we're actually chast. We withhold ourselves from others when we are married. And that's really, really important. Um, so, you know, you, you're going to do what you practice. And so if you constantly train yourself to give in to sexual desires when you're single, what you're going to do when you get married is give yourself into sexual desires. And going back to Benjamin and Ingrid, um, I think one of the challenges statistically, you guys are probably sleeping together and that 
becomes a challenge because you're playing married without the commitment of marriage. And so there's something sacred about the actual commitment where you say, I'm going to only do this with you for the rest of my life. Right. Okay, here's our last question, which came in anonymously and is very similar. My girlfriend and I are both in college. We've been dating seriously for four years and want to get married, but disagree on the timeline. I want to get married soon. wonder why. But she wants to wait until we finish school in three. She finishes school in two years. We also struggle with passion and frequently get too physical with each mm. other. What do we do? Ooh. That's hard. You got to have some serious conversations. Um, you know, Pastor Matt talks about this all the time. It's better to obey God than to get through school before you get married. I mean, I my wife and I exactly. got married in college. It was the best thing we did. We got to go home to each other instead of study. For study it. sessions? <laughs> Well, sure, whatever, <laughs> whenever we wanted. And instead of like staying up late doing homework and then I'm like, oh, I got to drive back to my dorm. It was just awful, that process. I, I don't know why you would postpone it. You know, it sounds like you might be a little too future focused or she might be too future focused. I, I think it'd be good to yeah. just they invite her. How long? Four, Four years. years. Oh, yeah. Statistically, they say if you can't like land the plane after five years, it's usually not a good start. Um, if you're younger, it might be a little different, but man, I, I would encourage you to talk to her about it. Um, if you guys are struggling, you really want to honor God. If that's truly your desire, I, I would um, either, you know, get some time apart or make a serious commitment to move forward marriage wise. Yeah, I agree. Me too. Absolutely. Any final romantic advice, marriage advice or love tips? Yes. Tomorrow sure. is like to Valentine's yours, day. <laughs> Do not blow it. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Don't blow it. Guys, don't, don't, don't blow, blow it. it. Don't blow it, dudes. Even if she says, I'm not into Valentine's. Okay, here's it's the a best. trap. It's a trap. Here's, oh, they, they, they lie. Here's the best Valentine's you didn't do day anything? ever. The best yeah. Valentine's. Tammy came home. And we, uh, well, actually, I'm it was so kind of the best right and the worst now. Valentine's. So I took her to see this movie, Message in a Bottle. But I didn't know the dude dies at the end. It's horrible. <laughs> so it's like the least Spoiler romantic movie ever. Sorry. So here's what I did is I wrote a letter. And uh, like on old paper and burn the tips, I wrote a love letter and I put it in a bottle. And then when she came home, I did rose petals all up to our bedroom, all up to the bed. And I had a friend of mine get the the tub hot and she got in the tub with the letter and I left. Oh. Because it's not always about sex, dude. That is a true story. Wow. That's, that's that's a move. That's from an a interesting Jedi. choice. That's a Jedi mind trick I'm, right there. I'm like filtering so much right now. Like, no, can't share that. Not sure. Yeah, don't share that. that. Well, I mean, just as far as general advice about marriage, one of the things we shared this last weekend at the marriage event was how vital it is for you to love Jesus first if you want to love your spouse. So, if you're a follower of Jesus, learn to fall in love with Him, learn His ways, learn how committed He is to you, so that you can learn what marriage commitment actually looks right. like. And and even that those words, right? Fall in love with Jesus. That's weird for dudes because we think love means sex and it doesn't. And it's why guys have a hard time saying, I love you, Justin. I love you, Andrew, which I don't have a hard time too, saying man. because love is not sexual. Love is love. That's what it is. And so that's how God loves us. And uh, it's what makes, you know, the Judeo-Christian God very different from the other ancient gods. The other ancient gods were very interested in sex. I mean, and and and, and our God is not that way. So. I think I, w- I want to speak to, like you guys were just kind of joking about, don't blow it tomorrow for Valentine's Day. Don't blow it any but day. But I, <laughs> that is so right. Um, I would just speak to the to the wives out there um, or those in a serious relationship to think about what does that look like on our end. Matt doesn't want flowers. He doesn't want a new Tiffany necklace. He doesn't want <laughs> those kind of things. But what's meaningful <clears throat> for him looks differently. If I say, hey, let's go for a bike ride or... 
let me tell you the things that you are doing so well. Like, I, I love that you are such a provider for us. And just like reminding him, which actually reminds me and helps me be more in love with him. When I really spend time to think about, here's the thing he's, he's doing so well for our family. Um, then I, I get a little rush of like, yeah, he is. I love, you know. And so ladies, remembering the things that your guy is doing well will really help you be more in love with him instead of spending so much time. We can spend a lot of time focusing on what they're not doing well. And I think Valentine's Day is a good way to um, to also honor and love your person by by telling them, literally counting the ways that they are loving you well, which actually, after 22 years, I can tell you, will motivate them to do those things even more. So. Lindy, when you hear this, I am not at all interested in going on a bike ride, but I'm profoundly available for you to list off all of the things I'm doing well. And get that rush. 